we'd ask you uh, to consider just now is the fact that there are certain defining moments in the life of any church, that there are certain defining moments in any congregation. I guess, you know, like the, the obvious example would be perhaps the appointment of a new minister. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a big moment for a church, isn't it? You know, it's a, a moment that's going to define the teaching of the church, that's going to define perhaps some of the outreach of the church for an allotted period of time. Um, let's have another example, a defining moment. Maybe the decision a congregation makes to relocate, you know, sell up the property and plant it in another community. That's another massive a decision for any church or any congregation to make. Well, what I am eager for us to see tonight is that this right here, just now, is a defining moment for London City Presbyterian Church. Why? Well, over the next couple of weeks, if you are a member here, then you are going to be voting for uh, the offices of the church. And uh, maybe some of you think, oh, you know, it's a dull and that's a boring sort of ecclesiastical routine. But don't you see what it means? Like it means that you are actually going to be voting for people who are going to be shaping and leading the teaching, ministry, vision, evangelism of this congregation potentially for years and years to come. Do, do you see it? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a big moment in the life of church. And because of this kind of defining moment for London City Presbyterian Church tonight, we're taking a break, aren't we? We're taking a break from our studies in the book of Zechariah. And where are we going? We're going back to the book of Acts and to Acts chapter 6. Why are we going here? Why Acts chapter 6? Um, well, what we've got here is a section of scripture that teaches us not only something about what an office of the church is, but this is a section of scripture that teaches us about the qualities, maybe something of the characteristics that men need to possess if they are going to take up these offices of the church. So are you with me so far? Like, do you see the hope that we have tonight? The hope is that we come to God's word and we come prayerfully, we come with a sense of anticipation, and the hope, surely, is that God leads us tonight, you know, to, to the men he wants, the men he chooses as elders and deacons of London City Presbyterian Church. That's the hope. So, what we'll do is what we normally do, and we will look at a a number of points from, or a number of aspects from these short verses that we've looked at in Acts 6. We're going to look at three things. Um, so this is the first of those. Let's consider Acts chapter 6, is reading about the church here. Let's consider what we learn about the role of church deacons. Like you've heard, you've heard that there's deacons in the church. What do they do? What do they do? So I would ask you to, to have your Bible's open um, at Acts chapter 6. And it likes to make a start with this. Okay. What's, first of all, what's going on here? Like, we're back in Acts 6. Uh, 
What's, what's the situation? Well, as a congregation, we have, we have gone through the book of Acts uh, over whatever it was, 18 months. So we know that the early church had spread far and wide, and we know that it spread very, very quickly, don't we? But what we're doing tonight is we're sort of moving back into a time where the, the New Testament church was actually confined to Jerusalem. So it's not going to all Judea and Samaria. It's not going, you know, towards the ends of the earth. We are back into Jerusalem, okay? Now, we know that. What else do we know? We know that this, Acts 6, was a time of unprecedented growth in the early church. But what started out as, what was it, 120 people? In Acts chapter 1, it just blew up to over 3,000 at Pentecost. And do you know what? See, at this time here, Acts chapter 6, the church has been added to on a daily basis. But here's, here's the thing. What do we know? Uh, a London City Presbyterian church with our capacity issues that we're having. What do we know? We know that church growth can lead to... Uh, a few problems here and there, can't it? And let me say that the New Testament church in Jerusalem, absolutely no exception to that. Did you see what was going on when we read this? Did you? There's, there's almost, there's certainly a hint that there was kind of two factions in that church in Jerusalem. Can you picture that? You've got the Greek-speaking Christians, who are referred to here as the Grecian Jews, and you've got Aramaic-speaking Christians, the Hebraic Jews. And do you know what? The, kind of, you know, the tension between these two groups is kind of rising at this point. The Christians are accusing the Hebraics of overlooking their people in the da- daily distribution of food. That's a problem. Do you see how it's dealt with? Do you see what the church does? The church does what we are trying to do here. We are trying to follow the New Testament church. Do you see how they deal with this situation? They gather all the church together here, don't they? The apostles. And what do they say to them? What do they say? They don't say, here's your deacons. Here's your deacons. They don't say that. They say, you choose. So the apostles here, they say to this church, they say, right, you choose seven men from amongst your number. You choose these men, men who are going to try and solve and serve the material aspects of this church. So that's an overview, a million miles an hour, of what's going on here in Acts chapter 6. Now here's what what I want us to do, is just to try and relate what we've got in Acts 6 to our situation in London City Presbyterian Church. I'll tell you how we'll do that. Uh, What I'm going to do just now is make a series of statements. And I think and I hope that each one of these statements that I make will challenge uh, some of our misconceptions about the life of this church and about the role of deacons, okay? So a series of statements, each one possibly challenging misconceptions that we have. So you ready for the first statement? Think about this one and think about the misconception, okay? Here's the first statement. Deacons should take the lead on the material service of the church. Do you want me to say it again? Deacons should take the lead on the material service of the church. Do you see what the misconception is? 
or not. Um, if you are appointed as an elder in the Free Church of Scotland, then what happens is that you are automatically made a deacon. You know, if, if, you're, if you're meeting the biblical requirements of an elder, you're also kind of meeting the biblical requirements of deacons. So you can see the kind of logic here. We're a small a denomination. So if you're an elder, you're automatically a deacon. And the assumption often is that, okay, that means that elders and deacons will serve equally the material life of the church. You see? They're both in the deacon's court. They'll serve equally in the material service of the church. Now, that's, that's absolutely fine. But I want to ask you, what have you got in Acts 6? Like, Acts 6 is the beginning, the establishment of the idea of deacons in the whole of the New Testament. It all begins here. My question to you is, why did they establish these deacons? What would you say to that? Why did they establish deacons? And you're going to say, well, to feed these widows. There was widows here that, that needed fed. That's, yeah, that's right. Is there anything else on top of that? Why did they, why did they start the diaconate? Like, why didn't the apostles serve the widows? Do you see the answer? The diaconate was established so that the spiritual leadership of the church was in no way compromised. Isn't that it? I mean, what do the apostles say here? They say, okay, this needs to be done. These widows need to be fed. And they say, but it wouldn't be right that we do it. Now, I'm asking you, do you see the lesson there? Do you see it? Like, yes, it is okay for elders and deacons to serve together on the deacon's court. But I'm asking you, what do we want from these men that we are going to be voting for. You've got voting slips, if you remember here. What do you want from those men, those new deacons? Don't you want them to get this? Like, don't you want the deacons of the church to, to, to be men who understand the danger that the teaching of the church or the shepherding of the church might be kind of overshadowed by the material concerns of the church. Don't you want your deacons to see that and recognize that? Don't you want deacons, even more than that, who will themselves serve sacrificially to ensure that that just never, ever, ever happens? Do you see it? Deacons, biblical deacons, they take the lead on the material service of the church. So that's one statement. Okay, next statement. What about this one? Deacons should invest in the personal as well as the corporate life of the church. Deacons should invest in the personal as well as the corporate. I was chatting to a guy recently. He's not here, wasn't here. Don't worry. Uh, I was speaking to him about the free church. He was a new at the free church. And he's just asking questions about the way that we work, you know? How's it working in a reformed church? Here you've got deacons. What do they do? And he was making a sort of a common mistake, common misconception. He was thinking that deacons were, you know, board of director type guys, you know? Like he was thinking, all right, uh, they're the management dudes, you know? They are the... 
the men that deal with the sort of church as a sort of entity type decisions. You know the big decisions about the lease or rent or assets. You know, church, big, massive decisions like that. Okay? I'm asking you, what about Acts chapter 6? And what were the deacons established to do? They were established to meet the material concerns of widows. Like, do you see it? Like, what would that have involved? The deacons would have had to have a really personal knowledge of those people, wouldn't they? Wouldn't they? Like, the deacons would have had to, to have a personal knowledge of, of those widows' circumstances, those, 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 those widows' needs. And again, I've got to ask you the same question. What is it that we want for these people that we are going to vote for as deacons? What do we want them to do? Well, surely we want them to care not just about the big picture, kind of church as a sort of entity type stuff. Isn't that right? Like, don't we want our our elders to care about people? Elders, deacons, you you, you know what I meant. Deacons, to care about people. For our deacons to be people who who inquire after people's lives, to to establish people's needs. We want our deacons to be involved as much as elders in the actual personal lives of the people of God. So deacons should invest in the personal as well as the sort of corporate life of the church. And then another statement, third statement. How about this? Deacons should embrace their high calling from God. Straight off the bat, I ask you, do you see our misconception with that statement? If you don't, let me read it again. Deacons should embrace their high calling from God. You see it? Do, do we view the diaconate as a high calling in the life of this church? Is that what you think when you think of a deacon? Isn't it much more the case that we think of a deacon as kind of an assistant he's like our dog's body or the elder's dog's body that's who we kind of think of as the deacons or the deacon well they're kind of spiritual guys but not really all that spiritual isn't that how we sometimes think about these things well understand this in Acts chapter 6 and throughout the New Testament the word for a deacon is the same word as a servant servant now you say to me then doesn't that just back up the idea that a deacon's a menial job if it's the same word as a servant? And I say to you, no. Don't you see what it means? It means that these men, deacons, are called to follow in the footsteps of their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The deacon's servant. It means that they are called to follow in the footsteps of the one who came, what was it? Not to be served, but to, to serve. That that's what the role of a deacon is in the life of a congregation like ours. And I, I, I want you to think about that. Please think about that. Do you see what God has done? I mean, it's an amazing, it's really an eye-opening thing, isn't it? That what God has done in his church is establish an office. And why does that office exist? It exists to reflect and mirror the ministry and the heart of his own beloved son. 
Like, isn't that something? God's done that. That's what deacons are. And it's an amazingly high calling then, isn't it? Following in the footsteps of Christ. Friends, do you see that that is a high calling? If so, do you also see what you must do as a congregation? What must you do in light of all of this? Isn't it obvious? You pray for your deacons. And I wonder if you do. Do we do that? Do we go into that private place in our house that we have assigned for prayer? Do we do that? Do we take out a list of the, the deacons who are serving in the life of this congregation? Do we do that? Do we often remember and bring those before our God? Are you doing that regularly? Friends, the deacons of this church are as vital as they are underestimated. And they need us to assist them. They need us to help them. But most of all, the deacons of this church, they need us to pray for them. So we see the role of church deacons in Acts 6. Okay, secondly, let's consider something else. Okay, Let's consider the character of deacons. So we're seeing that they are dealing with the material concerns of the church, okay? <clears throat> we're seeing that this is an important role. The question that we are all asking tonight, because we've got these voting forms, is, well, wait a minute, who do we vote for? <laughs> we get that we've got a vote. Who do we vote for? What are they supposed to be like? And I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to try and do something slightly unconventional just now, in this, this second point just now. What I want to do here is to take kind of blocks of teaching from Acts 6. I want them to, I want to add them together and hopefully we will build a phrase that is going to guide us in our voting. So we're going to take blocks of teaching from Acts 6, put it together and come out with a phrase at the other end. So you ready? Let's start with the first building block. Ready? A deacon should be a man, and we'll leave it there, a deacon should be a man. Now, we know that biblically speaking, I hope that although viewed entirely equally by scripture, by the Lord our God, we know that scripture does not permit a woman to serve in the capacity of an elder. Scripture rules that out. But wait a minute. That's an elder. That's something altogether different from a deacon. So, you know, we're seeing other churches... And we are seeing other Presbyterian churches... And we are seeing other Reformed churches appointing deaconesses, women deacons. So, is that valid? And is that fine? And is it biblical? Does it have sufficient biblical warrant for us? That's a serious question, isn't it? And uh, when I, a few years ago, started at the Free Church College, or when I was ending the Free Church College, and I was a young man, you know, with a point to prove, 
I chose that as my dissertation thesis topic, uh, the role of women in the church and women deacons. I was keen to show the free church that, yes, uh, that scripture permitted and allowed for deaconesses. And I knew going into this uh, dissertation topic that my focus was going to have to be in two areas of scripture, okay? I was going to have to look at Romans 16, where the Apostle Paul, he refers to Phoebe, and he uses the word diakonon, which could mean, as we know already, it could be Paul's referring to her as a servant, or it could be, and this is groundbreaking, that Paul was speaking about Phoebe as a deaconess. Okay, so you've got Romans 16. And I knew also that we were going to have to look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now, it's the Apostle Paul again. And he uses a word in 1 Timothy 3. And the word could either mean wives or women. Do you see what that means? It means that Paul was either giving guidance to wives of deacons or, wait a minute... He could be giving advice and guidance to women deacons. And I was keen to get into this. I was keen to get my teeth stuck into this. And I'll tell you honestly, the conclusions that came out of this surprised me greatly. Because understand this. Understand that in Romans 16, what Paul is doing is recommending Phoebe. Hey, do you see what that means? Like he, He's saying to the Roman church, I'm sending you this woman. And see the tone of it all? He's not talking about a clinical sort of office of the church. He's saying, embrace this woman. I am sending you Phoebe, and she is a servant of God. She is a servant of Christ. She is a servant of the church. And then 1 Timothy Three, there's a whole lot of evidence that would show that Paul is not speaking about deaconesses, but perhaps most notably, think about that sort of disputed term. Both times he uses that on either side of 1 Timothy. Paul is speaking about wives. He's not speaking about women. Do you see the point? There just is insufficient scriptural warrant for deaconesses that Although women are, of course, absolutely essential to the life and the service of the church. Think about Acts 6. The overview of that service, according to scripture, is to be led by men. So a deacon should be a man. Next part of the statement, let's take another building block, let's add to it. A deacon should be a man we know. A deacon should be a man we know. If you would do uh, this with me, please. Verse 3, if you've got your Bible open. Verse 3. I'd suggest, perhaps, that the NIV doesn't nail this. So, if you look at what the NIV says here, it says... um, Choose seven men. Do you see it? Choose seven men from among you who are known to be. And then it goes on. 
Now, the ESV, I know some of you are using the ESV, and you've got it on your phones. Um, it's, it seems to be much neater the, 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 the force, the thrust of the original. So if you listen to what the ESV says, it says this, tells us, if you like, or the congregation, pick out from among you seven men of good repute. Do you see the difference? It is not pick men who are known to be something. It is pick men who are known to you. Pick men who are known to you. Now that is an emphasis that's not just here, but it's time and time again. See, if you go to the other places in Scripture where God is giving us instruction about who we choose as deacons and elders, what does God say? He says, make sure you know these men. Make sure you know what sort of reputation these men have. And I stand before you this evening and I say, that's a nightmare for us. Isn't it? Like in the life of London City Presbyterian Church, we would love to, to appoint men who have you know, proved themselves over four or five years in the life of the congregation. We'd love to do that. What's the reality? The reality is that we are far too transient a congregation to do that. So what we have to do is take the scriptural principle and apply it to ourselves tonight. And so I say to you, please hear this. Who are you thinking of voting for? As deacon, you don't, you don't vote for someone who has just become a Christian. You don't vote for somebody who has just come into the life of a church. You know, if if, if a guy's come into the church you know, three weeks ago or six weeks ago, or, surely this invalidates that. I mean. Yes, perhaps you're thinking of someone who seems to meet all the other biblical criteria for the diaconate. But if he is new to this congregation, then surely set him aside for the time being at least. We see time and again in Scripture, a deacon should be a man we know. And then we'll finish this phrase. A deacon should be a man we know to be spiritually discerning. A man we, sh- we know to be spiritually discerning. Um, last time we had a vote for uh, the offices of the church, this is part of my job with the Kirk session, we open up the envelopes and uh, do you know genuinely that was a really positive thing to do. Uh, we, we look at it and, and we, we see who's been voted for and what struck me certainly was the, do you know, the fact that people had really thought about it. You know, we thought about it and we had prayed about it. <laughs> so in general, it was a positive thing. There were uh, some exceptions to that rule. Now, you don't have to worry because it's all anonymous. So I don't know who it was, but one person had voted for every single uh, male member of the congregation bar one. And I was like, that's a problem. Because clearly that hates the person they haven't voted for. There's that. But also what they're saying to the leadership of the church is saying, well, we think kind of, yeah, anyone can do this job. You know, we think, yeah, basically any one of these guys 
meets the biblical criteria. And I was kind of laughing that off. But it worries me that that's in our heart of hearts how we think about deacons. That we perhaps don't take seriously what God says in Scripture about deacons. And that we maybe think, well, can any guy could do this? You know, a, a deacon, as long as, as long as the guy's reasonably respectable, and as long as the guy's here, you know, at the services, then, you know, it's a deacon. It's not brain surgery. Is that what you think? What, what do the, what do the, what do we see here? Choose men who are known to be, what does, what does God say? What did they put? Known to be full of the Spirit. Known to be wise. So I ask you, who are you voting for as deacons? Ensure these two things. One first thing that we saw, ensure that that person loves people. Secondly, more importantly, ensure that the person you vote for loves Jesus. That his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is so real and it is so deep that it naturally shows itself in this overflowing of spiritual wisdom, spiritual love, spiritual discernment. And can you think of men in this congregation like that? Do you know what? I can. Can you? If so, maybe that is where you vote. So the character, so we've had the role of deacons, the character of deacons. I hope you're seeing the problem. <laughs> the problem is that the Kirk session is not asking you just to vote for deacons. We're asking you to vote for elders as well. So we're, we're going to close with this. But I do want to just address something about the eldership in closing. And I want to think about the priority of the church eldership. You know as well as I do that there is a lot written in the New Testament about the role and qualifications of eldership. And I don't do this a lot, um, but I am going to ask you as a congregation to do something, and that is this week over the next couple of days, to go to places like 1 Timothy 3 and to go to Book of Titus. And I'm asking you to read, study, and pray over what is said there about eldership. So that's what I'm asking you to do. But even in the passage that we've got in front of us just now, in Acts 6, we do learn something about eldership, okay? See, what, if, if you go back, what have we already said here? We've said that the diaconate, deacons were set up to do what? Remember? To protect the spiritual leadership of the church. Here's my question. What was that? spiritual leadership of the church. Like, what did it involve? What did it look like? What, here, what did, look at verse 2. The apostles say, it wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word. All right? So you've got that, the ministry. Look at verse 4. Just look down a wee bit, verse 4. We'll give our attention to prayer, and look, there it is again. The ministry of the word. Now, I know <laughs> that this is apostles and I know that it is not elders, but you see the point. 
The spiritual leadership of the church was what? It was a word-based leadership. And again, that's what you're going to see. It is, it is what you're going to see, because you're going to go home and you're going to look at First Timothy 3, aren't you? And we're going to read it. And you're going to see in amongst all these qualifications for elders, they've got to uh, be good with their family, looking after the family, and they've got to be self-controlled and all these things. And in amongst that, we're going to read, there's going to be this gem. Elders must be able to teach. And what we have to answer is, what does that look like here? Like London City Presbyterian Church, what does that mean and look like? Does it mean that the person that you vote for as an elder has to proven himself on a Sunday night? You know? Does it mean that the, the, the elder has to have been up here from the pulpit and, and preached a lengthy and weighty doctrinal sermon? Is that what it is? Is that what it means? No. It does mean this. That the person that we vote for as an elder should have proved themselves in the life of this congregation as being suitably equipped to teach individuals, suitably equipped to teach small groups, to teach people about the ways of our holy God. And so I, I, I believe that you've been thinking about who you're going to vote for as an elder. I don't believe for a second I hand out these things. And you don't instantly think, well, I'm going to vote for him and him. Everyone's thought about it. Why were you voting for that man as an elder? I really... Is it because that guy's a well-respected man? Is that why it is? Or is it because that guy's a well-liked man and he's kind of well-rounded individual and he's well-respected. Is that why it was? Do you know what we see in Scripture? God desires that we vote for men who are well-equipped and well-equipped to teach. And I'll, I'll end with this. Like I said at the beginning, said at the beginning of the sermon that uh, this was a defining moment for London City Presbyterian Church. Do you see from Acts 6 and the situation here why this moment and this vote is so important? Do you see it? Like this church in Jerusalem, what was happening? It was beginning to divide, wasn't it? Like that church in Jerusalem was falling apart. And what does God do? Isn't it the most surprising thing? What does God do? In amongst this tension, he implements church structure. And what do you read? In verse 5, the church structure is implemented and it pleased the whole group. So I'll say this phrase that I never, ever thought that I would ever say. Church structure leads to church unity. Church structure leads to church unity. If we have biblical deacons, if we have biblical elders, if we as a congregation act accordingly to those men who are over us in the Lord, what happens? We grow together in the Lord Jesus Christ. What comes out of that? There is a focus on the gospel. We are not suddenly backbiting. We're not moaning at each other. We are working well to portray in here and also to proclaim 
a message of salvation. A message of salvation from sin and a message of salvation that only comes how? Through the servant work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So friends, I'm, you've got your voting forms, if you remember here. And so I'm urging you to take seriously what you're doing and I'm urging you to vote. But don't you dare just vote with common sense. Vote in light of what Scripture says. And vote in light of what your God wants for his church. Let's pray.